Hey guys, it's uh, D. Roy Everett and Adam Beasley from the Death Files and Taxes podcast that you're listening to right now. Your favorite account, I know. It's the greatest thing in the whole world. A lot of you have been asking what you can do to help the podcast out, and seriously, all we want is a review. Yeah. Hopefully it's a five-star review, but if not, be fair, uh, at least a four. <laughs> we know you're listening. Like I said, we see the numbers. We're all over the world. Like I said, it's just we see it. We appreciate everyone listening. Help us get a little higher up there. Help us uh, get more new Helps listeners. the algorithms. People can help find us out, and it really does help. So if you can go to Apple, iTunes, that's where a lot of you are already listening or, or wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple, you know, all of these different things. They're all out. Wherever you listen, give us a, you don't even have to write a review. Just give us five stars. If you want to give us a review, that's cool, too. We appreciate it, and keep listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Well, Derek, if you're listening to this podcast, news to you. You're going to have to file your taxes. I don't like filing my taxes. Well, you know what? You're going to have to do it every year for the rest of your life, no matter what. And when you're reselling, there's always some unique and, and challenges, whether it's your first, second, you know, fifth year. If you're making a lot of money, you might want to become an S-Corporations. And those are one of the things that we can help you with here at Adam Up Accounting because we know our taxes for resellers. Well, how do I get a hold of somebody at Adam Up Accounting? You can go to our website, adamupaccounting.com. We've got a little comment section on there. You can send us a message. Um, it's got our phone number on there. Shoot us an email. Hit us on social media. We'd love to help you out, see if you can uh, answer some questions about reselling. Because we know it's confusing, and like I said, it's just one of those things you have to do. Because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble, B-Roy. Welcome into Death Piles and Taxes. Uh, this is another special episode, Adam. I feel like I'm in my element right now. I, all I got to say is it's good to be king, and uh, we got a guy here that would know why that is. Jerry Lawler? <laughs> close. It's, uh, it's uh, the wrestling card king. I know we had some wrestling card talk last week, but uh, I'm going to keep pulling forward with it. So we got Mr. Rob England on, and uh, Rob, we appreciate you coming in. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, and thank you for the invite. Rob's actually on a, quote, work vacation, unquote, so he's taking time out, relaxing, and, and uh, his personal time to come in here and do this, and uh, it's, it's very appreciative, or appreciated. I can't even talk. I'm so excited. <laughs> Excuse me, Rob. He once called me the wrestling card king when I was getting into it and started to get some notoriety and stuff, and uh, I think he's going to learn today who the real king is. All right. Sounds good to me. So those of you who don't know, like so this death piles and taxes, and we talk all kinds of crazy fun stuff, selling stuff online, collecting. And uh, Rob, from what I understand, you have quite the uh, eclectic collection of uh, specialty wrestling cards. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're, what you're collecting or how long you've been doing it? So I've been heavy into wrestling cards since 1996. It really started with, uh, my love for amateur wrestling and getting some of the guys that I would see at the NCAA wrestling championships, or I attended the world championships in 1995. I watched Kurt Angle win a world title, and um, I thought it was just really fun to have cards of who I consider are my heroes and really badasses in real life. And I, I would say, just as a spectator, I was able to see Brock Lesnar wrestle in college a couple times. He actually wrestled Stephen Neal, who went on to a career with the New England Patriots as an offensive lineman and a three-time Super Bowl champ. And Stephen Neal was a champion. He beat Brock. The next year, Brock won his national title. And so it's really cool just to be able to see those guys. And when I was going to those events, I would run into some amazing pro wrestlers as well. So I was able to meet Lou Fez and Vern Gagne and 
uh, got a wrestling all-star signed by Jack Briscoe. So that's just where my love has been for many, many years. And it made the hobby fun. And I, I just collected because it was really enjoyable and it was really personal to me. And here recently, the hobby has definitely taken an upward trend and wrestling cards. And that's just brought other joy into it as well. So from what I know, um, Derek's been pretty giddy about this interview because from what I know, you guys have been kind of playing tradesy swapsies on a couple cards that you've been looking for and maybe ones he had. Is, is that right? Yeah, we've made a few trades here recently and I really enjoy it because when I grade some cards, I'm, I'm looking at one of my PSA submissions and I don't know what I was thinking, but <laughs> I... I Submitted one Ultimate Warrior, and I looked on the quantity, and it was just easier for my submission, but I sent 20 of the same card in. And so, <laughs> of course, I'm going to keep the best one and then have the others for trade or, you know, some things I might try to hoard. Although, in general, I've been pretty bad at keeping hoards because I just kind of get bored with the stuff. And so... It's really nice to find other collectors who may have submitted different cards than what I do. And just to be able to add to my collection and, of course, not have to worry about shipping things out and paying all those pesky eBay fees and <laughs> taxes, all that kind of junk. And so if you could make good old fashioned trades, that, that's really fun for me. Those work good for me. I got... One question. I'm going to jump all over the place, so I hope you'll just hang out with us here. Uh, I've heard it all, so just bring it mainly, on. You mainly like the older and the vintage stuff, but where you're talking about, um, I mean, like amateur wrestling, which is weird. It's called amateur wrestling when it's uh, the real, like, I mean, it's it's the wrestling. Like, but I, I get it. Um, with uh, Gabe, uh, Gabe Stevenson uh, winning the gold medal and signing with WWE, are you going to get into any of his stuff? Or are you going to stay mainly with the uh, older stuff still? 100% in on Gable Stevenson, for sure. He, he's just a freak athlete. I don't know if you've seen, as far as when he wins, how he was able to do those backflips out of a 245-pound man. And I, I, one of the things with Gable is I saw a side-by-side -side of him and Brock and Brock, frankly, makes Gable look really small. But if they were to get out on the mat to, together, Gable would eat him up. And it's just amazing as far as the ability that Gable has. So I'll definitely be adding some Gable Stevenson cards to my collection. If, you know, even if they're pro, it doesn't matter. He's <laughs> a freak athlete, an Olympic champion. He may get into WWE for a while and you never know, he may transition into MMA later. And if he does that, I think it's really smart because if he would have went into MMA right after winning Olympic gold, I don't think that his pay would be very high, but if he could establish himself as a star in WWE after winning Olympic gold medal, he could basically transition almost to main event type status in MMA and people like Dana White would have to pay him right away. So I think it's brilliant if that's where he decides to go. And if not, I'm sure he's just going to have a really successful WWE career. Yeah. I saw him down at, uh, they, they had him announced at SummerSlam. And I think they've said they're signing or train, tra training him. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent, but I think that's a smart route. And uh, frankly, Brock Lesnar scares me. i I've seen him in stands from afar, and, and that man's just a beast. If, yeah, you people listening here aren't familiar with uh, with Brock Lesnar, who he is. Just do a Google image search. And uh, I've heard uh, – th here's what I'm saying. I jump all over the place. I might listen to some Bigfoot uh, Sasquatch-type podcasts on occasion. And a lot of the times they ask the people, you know, what did this creature look like? And it's happened more than once that they say, have you ever seen Brock Lesnar? And basically yeah, – Brock is a freak. Just there's no way about it. And just watching him as a 21-year-old in college and, and there's muscles on his shoulders between his <laughs> head and, you know, like, oh, yeah, there, there's God. muscles it's, that he has he that I don't different. think exist on other people, which, you know, I, uh, 
I just know when that man enters the room, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're kind of feared for your life a little bit. You definitely notice him. So yeah, Brock is something special. So for our, like I said, our, our listeners catching in, we've got Rob England on here. He is uh, one of the heavyweights in the wrestling cards. Rob, maybe give us a rundown. What has happened over the last 18 months that you have seen in, in trading cards in general, and then specifically with you with wrestling cards? Yeah, it's been incredible. And I know I was talking with a collector and he was going to buy a really important card off of me. And it was the 1981 Poppy Hogan. And at the time I was going to let it go. I was going to let it go for 4,000, which I'm so thankful that at the time he didn't pay at all. And then he contacted me and he said, you know, with this COVID thing, I'm really scared about the market. I just don't think, you know, I could do that. And I said, fine, you know, and I was good with that. And it just turned out to be a blessing now because I wouldn't take 10,000 for that card. It's a Hulk Hogan 1981 rookie card from Japan. There's been only eight of them graded. Oh. And I have four of them. And there are three PSA eights, no nines, no tens. And so I have two of the eights. And so that's why I I was considering selling one, but I'm really thankful that I didn't. And of course, people in the hobby have just seen the explosion of cards. And one of the examples that I have as far as explosion is last May. So I'm talking May of 2020, there was a Dwayne Johnson Bumblebee rookie college football card that's perforated. I saw that and it was a PSA 10 and I wanted to have that. I had it in an eight and I really didn't like that grade at the time and wanted to improve. And the seller did a counter offer to me for $750. And I looked at it and I probably did a little bit too much research because I went into auction prices, realized and saw the last two that went in a true auction and they, they went for just $550. And I got to thinking, do I want to pay another $200 on this card at this time? And I talked myself out of it, rejected the seller's offer and thought the next time that this card comes up for auction, I'm going to win it. It's a pop 30. So I didn't think it was necessarily scarce. And Shortly after, you know, those cards got gobbled up. There were some other ones, tens listed for just over a thousand, and those got bought up. And of course, now I rejected it at 750, so a thousand didn't look good. And so I just stayed out of that game. And then we saw it go for 14,000, and then the one that Timbaland bought for 42,000. And so that card in one year went from basically $750 to a $40,000 piece. And Uh, although that wasn't all of the market in this last 18 months, it does speak of just the volatility of it and how it just has been on an upward trend during these times. I mean, when you bring in people with high bankrolls, you know, guys like Gary Vee and Steve Aoki and, more of these investment types. It doesn't change, you know, take much to change the trajectory of a market and some of these collectibles. And, you know, I think they're here, here to stay for quite some time. So it's pretty, pretty exciting times. I'm, I'm just going to break that down for our listeners. Like it's exactly what he said. There was a card that said Bumblebee tuna for Dwayne, the rock Johnson, when he paid for the Miami hurricanes and it was a PSA 10. You turned down for $750. And shortly thereafter, it sold for $42,000. That's true. That's legit. Uh, you, I, I kind of felt a little kick in the teeth because that Hogan card you're talking about, I missed out on it twice on two auctions on eBay, buying it raw. And this was maybe, I don't know, four or five months ago. One of them I missed out on it. It was it sold for like three hundred and fifty dollars, and the next it wasn't the poppy for three fifty. It was a raw card. Well, it was the gong card 
the I don't know. It was a really, really scarce card. And I'm really mad because it's the same situation where, you know, if I would have spent two or three hundred more dollars, it would have been uh, a lot better buy for me. And I didn't. But I don't know. It, it's just one of those things at the time. You don't know if you're going to spend that extra money, but it's all a gamble, right? I mean, cards right now, it's you can have some calculated risk. But I think what you're saying, too, is scarcity is what's important on a lot of these cards. And what I would say about wrestling cards is that the, you know, high grade or really scarce wrestling cards, they don't come up very often or they're tied up in collections. And it's just a different mindset that you have to have in comparison to mainstream sports. So, for example, if you take something like a Michael Jordan 86 Fleer, granted, it might be out of people's price range, but you could, you know, if you have the finances or able to go up on eBay or go to a major show and purchase that car. With wrestling, not so much the case. So, you know, even at 82 All-Stars Hogan, the ability, you know, the availability of that card is so much less. There could only be, you know, three to four of them or something like that at a time on eBay. Or if you went to the National, I know years ago, I didn't see any. And I think some of the dealers now are recognizing the iconic status of that card. And so you're going to see it a little bit more. But the overall availability of that card is so much less. And one of the theories that I have right now with that 82 All-Stars Hogan, and this is just my opinion, you could take it for what it's worth for all these listeners, but I believe in a PSA 9 that there wouldn't be another sports card that would outperform that Hulk Hogan from the 80s. Do you think we'll have a 10 of that card? There are no 10s, which is part of the reason why I think a nine would outperform, you know, help its performance, but then the scarcity of the card. So it's a whole lot more scarce than Jordan, right? So I I would put up a PSA nine Hogan against any other sports card from the eighties. And I think Hogan wins. What do you think is going to happen when these superstars, when Ric Flair, when Hulk Hogan, when Macho Man, when they start dying, what do you think is going to happen? Well, Macho Man's been dead for quite some time. But um, I, I think it's going to be a frenzy as far as Hulk Hogan collectibles and Ric Flair. And, you know, I'm heavily invested in those guys. But uh, I'm willing to wait a long, long time if I got rid of any of those guys. And I kind of like the stuff. So a lot of that stuff stays in my collection. But. I believe it's going to be a frenzy. I know that in the past, wrestling cards were mocked. I know I (laughs) got a lot of grief of collecting guys that, you know, are bare chested. And why would you want to collect those things? But the thing is, is collectors are collectors. I know that Three Stooges are popular. Uh, Other non-sports, you know, we're more the same than we are different. So I, I never really understood the, to insult people that collected cardboard like they collected cardboard but here we are and wrestling's definitely got some respect here especially in these last 18 months like I said you know how could you not respect it if you know from my opinion that Hulk Hogan PSA 9 could outperform any sports card from the 80s yeah, it's kind of weird when people say my pictures on my cardboard are better than yours because of how the guys dress or what they do for a profession. When, when you break it down, we're collectors. We like what we like. Uh, me and you happen to be in that realm. Adam's gotten into soccer and some other things. Um, but like I've been telling people, and kind of like you alluded to there, uh, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair are basically Babe Ruth and uh, Mickey Mantle, and they're still, still alive. Uh, knock on wood, they stay that way for a while, but there's an opportunity right now to uh, get autographs from these individuals, to get cards, to, to meet with them. Um, I think it's something like you were saying here, whenever it happens, I think it will put people in, in somewhat of a frenzy. And if you invest now on the back end, it's only going to, I mean, they're not going down in value anytime soon. I don't think so at all. And I know that I've had a 
plenty of conversations with David Peck out of Orlando, DPEC 100, who has the finest wrestling all-stars collection in the world. But our example that we've shared many times with others and together is if Mike Schmidt is going through the airport here, a Hall of Fame baseball player, he may be able to go through the airport and have a couple of people recognize him. If you had Hulk or Ric Flair, those guys would be noticeable and it would get the crowd buzzing. And I know that people that have went to the, the National and they have the autograph stage there, they say that it's just different when Flair or and or Hogan are there. And this past year, they were together in comparison to all sports Hall of Famers. They're in essence, real life action heroes who you know have been a part of our childhood memories who are part of Americana and they're just different. Yeah. Um, let's go back to that rock conversation. And uh, like I say, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but uh, did you auction off one of your tens? Was that the story I heard or am I mis, uh, misremembering? No, that, that that's true. So back in December, it was really odd that uh, Panini had released some stickers from 1997 and they were caught in these warehouses in Egypt, in Cairo, and they had never really surfaced. So even expert collectors like myself and, you know, the Husker Haves, he knows a lot of things, uh, you know, as far as overseas issues for wrestling cards. He had never heard of them before. And so there was a rock wrestling rookie in there. And I knew that that was going to be a winner. And so I bought up some boxes. I got those boxes, immediately ripped them, had a few nice ones. I expressed them to PSA, got them back fairly quick. quickly. I was fortunate enough to get two PSA 10s off his main action shot. He actually has a handful of stickers in that issue. And so it's a pop two. And what's pretty amazing is it's that it's a 24-year-old card slash sticker that was just discovered. And I had never done this before. And even though I have a good re reputation in the hobby and especially in wrestling cards, I felt to maximize the value of that item that I ne needed to send it to something big. And I believe that Golden Auctions is that auction house at this time. And they would be able to appropriately advertise it. And of course, I was putting it out there on Twitter. And there were some folks that were sharing that. And I'd like to give a shout out to Yamwax. He was able to make some nice graphics and share some things out there just on his own. He's a very generous guy in the hobby. And it went live. And that was a pretty amazing what, two weeks? It was in one of their elite auctions. And so that night, that card ended up running up to $28,000. And then the, the bidder had to pay the buyer's premium. And so I, uh, I came out real good on that one, for sure. You, you sold a piece of cardboard for $28,000? <laughs> I did, and I only had it in my hands for a few months way to go rob that's what i tell everybody like don't get don't get upset or like i'm so happy for people that are making money in this and it's not about making money yeah it is and it allows you to collect things it's intriguing it's a hobby that allows you to fund your hobby and that's what i tell derek i mean it's amazing what people will spend and as i've been reselling i don't ask anymore like why would somebody spend that much money? I ask, what else do I have that people will spend money on? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, that goes to the down payment of my house and I'm happy with that. And that's a win. I still have the other 10. And so it's a win-win for me. No one likes to lose, right? That's it's right. A win. Yeah, I mean, when you uncovered, so 
I'll, full disclosure, I've been trading with Rob, and I got, I think it was PSA 8 of that rock card that we were able to trade, which was very generous, and I've enjoyed our trades. I think you've been more than fair uh, with me with what we've been doing, so I appreciate that. Um, when you find out that there's these boxes over in Egypt, <laughs> how do you even go about facilitating getting a couple of boxes? Like, what, what's that process like? PayPal them the money. And, uh, that easy. I, I, I never do friends and family. I know that there's collectors out there that or sellers that insist on that. And I always believe that if you always just pay goods and services, you know, I'm not trying to processes, right? Yeah. And if someone needs a certain net, I'll pay the extra three percent so I get protected. And if the product is not delivered, I could get my money back. And so, you know, that's just how I operate. And I can't really say that I've ever been cheated out of money just because I always keep things above board that way. Well, let's go into like PSA. You're a PSA guy. We're trading around and stuff. You're, you're pretty firm on that's, that's who you do business with and that's where you're at. Um, in the past, though, with wrestling cards not being as respected or, or whatever you want to say with them, uh, have you had opportunities working with them and, and kind of, I guess, getting them to come along and understand what is wrestling cards, what they should be grading, what they should be looking for? I have worked with PSA to get some sets recognized, especially a lot of issues in Japan. So the 1981 poppies, I was able to assist PSA with grading those for the first time. The 1982 BBMs, I got them to grade those for the first time. The 1982 gongs that has the Hulk Hogan from a magazine. I graded the first at least four of those. I believe I graded the first maybe 15 or 16 BBM Hulk Hogan's from 82. So, you know, I think just doing your research and being very thorough, presenting your case to them. And I've been able to, to get things through. What's that process like? Do you uh, initiate that or do they come to you knowing who you are and saying, you know, what, what is this? Is this legit? Many times I've initiated that because, of course, um, I'm the one coming with the product. And so, you know, I just have to give them a real good history with that. I think all in all, they know me. I've been on the registry for about 12 years now with a lot of my sets and I know that um, one of the employees there and she works in customer service now and she goes, oh yeah, you know, I, I remember you because, uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> your submissions were a whole lot more fun than, nine, you know, 95% of the ones that come through because we just see Mike Trout over and over and <laughs> you're just sending in different stuff. And I think she was working in research at the time. And so it got them looking at things that they typically don't look at. That is probably nice for them. I haven't thought about that aspect, but they, they probably see the same cards in bulk hundreds and hundreds of times. So like how many prisms right now yeah. did they see of Luca and all those yeah. guys, right? Well, hopefully I've got a uh, Bill Goldberg, Bill Goldberg, 1989 Alabama red border card there at PSA right now. I think there's only been one or two others graded. So maybe you can talk with your lady, tell her it looks nice. And when they send it back, you know, I'm kind of excited to see my grade on that one come back. All right. That's not Alabama, though. That's Georgia. So. Georgia. Yeah, I mean, Georgia. Oh. Yeah. He's nervous. You got off his game, Rob. He hasn't talked to Royal. <laughs> That's a Georgia card. That's the number one team in the country. Alabama's no longer number one. So the problem is, is I know Macho Man was dead. I know Bill Goldberg is for Georgia. I'm just in the likes of two guys that Gary V, who's I look up to a lot. He's the reason we have this podcast. I've tried everything he can't like. He won't follow me on Twitter, but he follows you and he follows Derek. And I'm just chopped liver. So I guess I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses here. Yeah, Gary Vee has been really great for wrestling. And I think it was, what was it, last year in July. And he sent out a tweet saying that he's buying 70s to 90s wrestling. 
And that's in my wheelhouse. Of course, my wrestling collection goes back to 1887. So I consider myself a historian when it comes to wrestling cards. And I've always struggled with modern. And so, you know, it's funny. I always feel like I could kind of go back and get that stuff if it's something that ever appeals to me. So a lot of the rock cards didn't appeal to me because it seemed so modern, but he's such a Americana type of guy with his movies and just his career and energy drinks and his TV show and maybe a future presidential run. So I'm definitely big into Dwayne Johnson at this time. Yeah, he definitely goes over into uh, pop culture. I've actually been sneaking in and uh, going for his father, Rocky, and his grandpa, uh, uh, High Chief Mayavia there, so Peter Mayavia. Because I think with the TV show, um, some of those people that might have been neglected, they're, they're kind of stars on that show. And if he does actually end up running for president, which who knows, um, it, can't, it can't hurt that stuff. So right now, uh, I guess, hot tip for the listeners, you can pick up uh, Rocky and, and uh, those cards for fairly cheap. Yeah, and his dad's cards actually jumped in popularity when that season of show was going I noticed so that. Those that was the time I All stars are, are something to get now, for sure. Um, have you had any dealings with uh, with uh, Gary V? Then, yeah, Gary's bought some cards off me. I know that he bought a 1983 collector's cab card of Andre the Giant. He bought a high grade 1954 Parkhurst uh, Gorgeous George off me as well. So I, I've had a few dealings with uh, Gary. When it comes to this kind of stuff, um, you're, you're more, I mean, you sell stuff and like we've talked about, you trade, but you're a collector at heart. Is there any, uh, I mean, white well out there that you've been searching for or is there something that you're after that you haven't been able to track down or that you just want more of? I mean, obviously there's stuff you want more of, but is there something out there that's kind of tough to get that you'd love to, to find that you haven't been able to find? In some ways, I kind of look at some of my eBay. I could go into my registry and see my past sold listings. And if, sometimes I would just downsize just to downsize. And some things that kind of, you know, regret getting rid of. But at this point, it's um, I'm getting rid of mostly just duplicates at this point and hoarding some of the other things. Just even a couple years ago. You could have hoarded, I would say, Hulk Hogan, 82 All-Stars, and six PSA 6 and 7 for really, really good prices. And those, of course, have shot up. Right now, I have six of those signed. And I was just kind of thinking out loud, oh, I'd like to get up to 10 on those. But, you know, I'm not going to pay absurd prices. Maybe I could just kind of inch my way up there. And I... <laughs> You know, if I don't get there, that's okay. But I've got six right now. Probably one of the things that I'm trying to do now is just get a lot of my stuff graded that's not graded. I have lots of good raw in my collection. And of course, with PSA basically being in a shutdown, unless you want to pay $150 per card to get it graded. And so things are kind of building up. And even prior to the shutdown, I was thinking of not necessarily buying a lot of new material. Of course, I'm always actively buying, but dialing that back a little bit and just trying to get a lot of my stuff in slabs. I, I see something, you know, a, a slab totally changes the card and I have a lot of good things raw. I really prefer not to sell raw cards just because I don't think I'm maximizing the value out of the card and then not having to deal with a buyer thinking it's a higher grade or just the whole issue with that. And so really just paying to get my stuff submitted or getting new things recognized. One of the things I'm working with PSA now, and I don't know if it's going to happen or not, so I don't know if I should throw it out there, is that I have a 1982 Wrestling All-Stars Hulk Hogan that's a blank back. And it's the only one I've ever seen. I got signed by Hulk in April in Orlando this past year. And I really want that label 
that PSA label to say 1982 wrestling all-stars, Hulk Hogan, blank back, and then get it PSA DNA. It's a one of one type item. And then you're so, just going to retire, right? <laughs> well, no, because I won't sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll still work and keep it. <laughs> you've, um, you brought up some really fun things, like I said, that you've been doing, Rob. What do you do as far as keeping track of all of this? Like, how do you know what you have, what you spent it on? Um, you know, if you're making money, how do you keep track of that? Because that's one of the big things that our collectors and then also with, you know, doing taxes, accounting for this kind of stuff. How are you keeping track of that or, or how do you know kind of where you're at on everything? Well, I don't lose. So <laughs> <laughs> basically, and I've talked to David Pack a lot about this, is that I've never really I've never lost on a submission. And as far as, of course, that may change now if grading fees are $25 a card and I'm submitting just a mid carter, it might be harder to get that 20, you know, $25 or $30 back. But I would say in past years at $7 per, you know, slab, I, I wasn't selling slabs for less than $7. And so maybe it was a little win of a, few dollars or maybe I doubled my money but in essence PSA was really printing people money at an exponential factor and so I never really lost in in that regard but I do track all of my purchases many times I submit things myself so I'm not really buying the inflated cost of a graded card maybe it's easier for me to to buy you know, a high grade at this point and skip that whole process, especially now with having to wait a year or longer to get my cards back and not have to buy, you know, I'm, I might go buy five or six boxes and then just submit several that look good and keep the highest ones. So getting materials getting a little bit harder, but I, I track all of my purchases, all my sales. I generally do you know, a fixed price auction with a or best offer. And so I don't leave it up to chance. I'm not into giving my stuff away. And I'm, I'm willing to wait it out. Um, I, so I, I would really say patience on this stuff. That's what Derek always says. He says it's all about, uh, you know, that slow dime instead of a fast nickel. And that's what a lot of people have done with all these PSA submissions. They think I want to hurry up and get it, or there's so much product now, just like you brought up with Panini, Prisms, Mike Trout. I mean, all of these cards that these companies aren't losing either. Like, they don't keep printing more cards. All they're doing is putting more volume out there. More people are buying it. And uh, like the market that you're in, there's only so much that has already been printed. So, I don't know, looking at it, I think you're in a really good space and it's just going to continue to to grow in value. Well, I think it's a little bit different because I'm really not prospecting. So I'm not dumping a bunch of my money into the latest prospect, right? So I'm not dumping all of my money into the Todd Van Poppels and the Jerome Waltons of the world of, you know, the early 90s. Right now, I'm submitting cards of The Rock and Flair and Hulk Hogan. And it's an overly used term of GOAT, of the greatest of all times, but sending in really the iconic guys and getting the iconic guys in slabs. So uh, I'm not really buying the modern wrestling rookie and hoping that person, you know, achieves the highest part of, you know, WWE or anything like that. So I'm out of that. And so I think these are more of a steady growth or overall growth due to the iconic status of those wrestlers. So when it comes to uh, strategy, you're kind of, you're famous in your sphere. I get, oh, we're having things fall down there. Sorry about that. But you're, you're well known. Do you find with that notoriety that it's easier for you to make deals? Do people come to you? Or how do you go about collecting now that maybe people do know you and say, 
well, obviously he's successful. He's got money. He's got more that he can offer. What's, what's, uh, what's your strategy, I guess, going into, you know, trades, buying all that kind of thing nowadays. I think Twitter has been a really live place for wrestling card collectors to get together and share. I've been a part of the message boards of net 54 blowout collectors universe with PSA. But I would say overall to find other wrestling card collectors there wasn't so much. I think Twitter has been the place to be. I think I have the track record as far as having award-winning sets with PSA for at least a dozen years. And then I've been wrestling card king on eBay, which is a pretty easy handle to remember for two decades. And so at some point people have either heard of me or dealt with me in some way. And I was one of the, I believe, one of the first people, and I, well, actually, I think I am, so. <laughs> but I think I'm the really the first person to really exclusively submit wrestling cards to a third-party grader, and so I was bringing in slabs of wrestling to the market um, at the infancy of it all. Now, are you get? You just do wrestling cards, but would you ever get over into MMA? I know we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the Olympic wrestling and some of the uh, the MMA crossovers and stuff. Is, is that appeal to you at all? Yes, I, I do have some MMA. That's kind of funny because I get on these shows and I say, oh, I only collect wrestling. But then, you know, my thought is some of those MMA guys, of course, are wrestlers with amateur backgrounds. So... I'll have the Randy Couture rookie cards from 98 and Dan Henderson and Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr, Kevin Randleman, you know, Uriah Faber and some of those guys. And even though he's not a wrestler, but he's just badass as far as Hoist Gracie. So I do have some of that stuff, but I don't spend a lot of time looking up, you know, UFC cards. But some of those guys that have a real amateur wrestling background, I'll definitely get some of those key cards for my collection. So kind of here near and dear here in Utah, have you had any cards or any dealings with Rulon Gardner? Yeah, I've met Rulon a, a few times and I have some slabbed Rulon um, cards in my collection for sure. And I have a Rulon registry I've been able to see him when I've either went to the NCAA championships or I've attended the Worlds in 95, the Worlds in 2003 in New York City, and the Worlds in 2015 in Las Vegas. And I think 2015 is the last time I've seen Rulon out in the concourse area. And believe me, if you're in the concourse area and Rulon walks by, you're not going to miss him. You're going to notice him. We also have uh, Kale Sanderson up the road where we did. He he, uh, he grew up probably about 40 miles from where we sit right now, uh, give or take. So we uh, we do have some wrestling tradition out here in the in the Mountain West. Absolutely. And, and Kale cards, they're actually picking up some steam as well. And I've had a registry of Kale Sanderson for uh, probably at least 10 years. And he's doing some great things coaching at Penn State really our modern day Dan Gable, I would say. So Kale's phenomenal. And he's just a great ambas- uh, amb- ambassador for the sport of wrestling. Why do you think it is that um, the amateur wrestling, the people crossing over watching pro wrestling or collecting pro wrestling so hard? I know I've heard uh, Kurt Angle interviewed a lot of times and after he got the gold medal with the broken freaking neck, we all know the story, at least in the wrestling world. Uh, he got a lot of flack and blowback that he was going to go do this, uh, you know, this fake wrestling stuff. Why do you think that is? You know, to me, to each their own. And if it's a way for amateur wrestlers to provide and set themselves up financially, to me, all the power to them. I think fans in general are a little bit selfish and they would love for Kurt Angle to go through another quad and have, you know, wrestled in Sydney in 2000, rather than 
win his world title in 95, win the Olympic title in 96, and exit the sport. And right now, USA Wrestling is doing better as far as providing financially for our Olympic athletes. And so they can make more of a career in it today. And so someone like Jordan Burroughs, who just last week won his sixth world slash Olympic title in his career, and he has other medal placings. So he's spent like a strong decade in the sport. And some of that has to do with some of the financial incentives that are given to wrestlers these days that never were there. And so I could never blame wrestlers before for exiting the sport for, you know, to make a a good career for them. So your, your love of wrestling, did you wrestle like when you were younger? Did you wrestle in high school? Like how did you get your tie in? So I had a bunch of older cousins that were into wrestling. And so I was, in essence, a little snot-nosed kid going to these <laughs> tournaments and watching them on our local high school team. They were really dominant. They basically destroyed all the local teams in our area. And so, in essence, they were really young heroes to me. And I eventually got my chance to get into the sport as a youth and got into it and wrestled in high school. I was a part of the the high school team that my cousins were, we weren't as um, good as, in essence, them, but we still won four league titles in my four years there. And, you know, that that was just really fun to be a part of a winner. Well, I will tell our, re- our, our listeners that don't, you know, if you're kind of new to wrestling or, or understanding a lot of high school athletics, collegiate athletics, I'll tell you one thing. This is going to be a hot tip for everybody. If you see a guy and he's got cauliflower ear, you don't mess with that guy because he will whoop your butt. So next time you see somebody's ear that looks a little different, you better shut your mouth because he will put you on your back. (laughs) There's a few women these days that are getting cauliflower ears too. So (laughs) I'd say cauliflower ear in general. (laughs) Have you ever attended the cauliflower alley at all? I have not, no. I'm no, sorry, I just had to throw that in when Cauliflower came up for people that don't know. Exactly. It looks like yeah, a great I event. I know what you you know what it is, but it's basically it's a it's a pro wrestling event down in Vegas and the money goes to help the older wrestlers that might need some help, basically. So um I've been looking into going to that, but I've never quite made it there. I have right, been Rob, able well, to we... be a vendor with uh my buddy Greg Weiss, who runs a promotion couple years ago for the gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we had just about 10 wrestlers over two days. And that was a lot of fun as far as basically just getting fans to come over, get an autograph, get a photo, try to sell that combo and um, do that over a few days. And that was a lot of fun. And of course, you know, going to breakfast and lunch and getting our talent you know, back to the airport and all of that. And just hearing the stories from Ivan Putsky and Ken Patera. I actually kind of got to grapple a little bit on my feet with Bob Backlund, which was a lot of fun. And my, my buddies, they actually thought it was really cool because Bob Backlund's known for putting people in chicken wings and being a badass. And, and, uh, we were kind of just, uh, sparring and kind of neutral on our feet and, Bob couldn't do anything against me and people were, uh, think they're pretty impressed. Yeah. There's, there's no better stories than pro wrestler stories. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of podcasts out there. If you want to listen, I mean, the miles and the things traveled, uh, for maybe some of our people that aren't so into cards or aren't so into, uh, wrestling or whatever, you've still been very successful at eBay and at finding things and, and doing auctions, winning things. Uh, what's just some basic strategy for somebody that's looking to win some things or get into their collection kind of universal wisdom that you could give out to people that are looking to grow their collections? I would say number one is buy what you like. I think if you really like the card and it seems really simple, right? But if you really like it and really have no expectation for it in the future, at least you have the enjoyment of that item. And hopefully that isn't, you know, taken away. Of course, there are some, people that get bored of an item and they might 
you know, get rid of it after a period of time. And I've done that as well, sometimes with regret. But um, I, I would say always buy what you like and, of course, what you could afford too. So some of the things that I've done, though, here recently is um, kind of skip the, the middle process. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I bought a card in a seven or an eight, I think many times I wouldn't be happy with it. And so I'll let a lot of those sevens and eights go and just wait to get that nine or, or 10. And in some ways that just, you know, skips that process of purchasing that seven, eventually getting it at nine and then selling that seven off. And so I would just kind of do without the item until I could find it in the grade that I want. I think that's good advice, um, kind of sage wisdom. Uh, we're we're going to try to close it up here. We've took a lot of your time. I know you're on vacation. You're doing stuff. You're very generous of your time to come in. Uh, I've appreciated doing trades and things with you. If there's people out there uh, looking to get a hold of you, want to trade with you, what's kind of the best spot to find you and how should somebody go about that? My best spot as far as where I'm trying to keep it pretty much just all on my wrestling collection is on Twitter and it's wrestling card K one, but wrestling card King there. I am on Instagram as well at Rob England 26. If you want to shoot me a DM there. I'm also on eBay wrestling card King, all just one word. And I'm on eBay with that handle. I generally just have just showcasing some items there. You know, a lot of things aren't necessarily great there, but just a way to keep my name out there and to network with other collectors and see what I can do to, to just uh, be known. Well, you're definitely known. Uh, a lot of people are famous in their sphere and you definitely are. You've got quite the collection um, I know Derek has been uh, Twitter painted this last couple of weeks. He, he's all excited about wrestling cards. That's how I can tell when he gets excited is when he gets telling me about things. And I'm like, wow, these are really cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you can also Google. I know just as far as Google wrestling card King, Rob England, and a lot of my PSA registry sets pop up and a few articles that have been published on now, Rob, there's a lot of good people. This is one thing I like about the wrestling card world, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. Is, uh, you get some of these other groups and stuff, and people are, are one-uppers, or they put people down, or whatever. For whatever reason, maybe it's just because it's small. I'm sure there's some bad seeds out there. Or people have had bad experiences. But generally speaking, uh, everyone I've dealt with has been really great people, really good to get a hold of. I mean, I've talked with you. I've talked with David Peck. That's the Mount Rushmore of the collecting world, the, the two biggest guys in the hobby are more than happy to talk with anyone. And I noticed on your, your card that you sent me out that your day job is very important too. You're just a really good guy. Um, I don't know if you want to talk any a bit about that or just go on to close the show, but I just uh, think the world of you and I've appreciated this friendship that started to develop. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll throw it out there. So one of the things I got into is, um, I've worked for my tribe, the Yurok tribe and social work. And just about a decade ago, I started working in suicide prevention. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I know that many people have been impacted by suicide in one way or another. And so I became a trainer in many suicide prevention trainings and lead a suicide prevention project at a health clinic that I work at and I'm a manager at. And so, yeah, I threw that business card in there and um, just trying to make headway in that area as well. And what's really odd is that, um, of course, like competing in athletics and, you know, striving to be number one and then being known in the card collecting hobby. But I was really humbled as far as this past week is that. I actually received a national award for my profession, which was really new. It was a um, Heroes in Health. And I, you know, it was a little bit bittersweet because I feel like some of my passion for suicide prevention is due to 
the loss of my aunt to suicide in 2010. And so one of the things I thought of is, no, I don't think I would have won this award if my aunt, like, if my aunt was still here. And so it, it kind of had a little funky feeling, but one of the things that I, made me really passionate about this work is I don't want families to experience what my family did. And I think suicide is a topic where you never really think it's going to happen to you until it does. And as far as the statistics, you know, there's 47,000 Americans losing their life to suicide. And that's just where we know intent per year. And I think it's really a public health issue that needs to be addressed. And I know that it's really painful and emotional to people. And so instead of running away from it, I'm just the type of person to run towards it. And so trying to do what I can do. Um, yeah. Well, that's like I said, if you don't take away anything from this podcast, that is the one takeaway is it's a stigma that's always been out there. And, uh, Myself, I was um, two years ago, I had a cousin that I was really close with that he had his life together. He was married, had three kids, had his dream job, and uh, he took his life. And it's one of the same thing. It's one of those things that you don't know how or what to say. And we continue to love and support his wife and their children. And they obviously go through it grieving process different than we do, but we need to get rid of that stigma. So thank you for throwing that out there, Rob, and and, uh, talk to people about things. We all have issues. Every one of us go through things, and a lot of time it's just that that, uh, moment to be able to talk to somebody that you trust, that you can air your grievances and your dirty laundry and uh, hopefully move on because we all have problems. So, And and really, one of the key takeaways from a basic suicide prevention training that I facilitate is to ask directly about suicide. And I know that it seems scary because, of course, what if they say yes? And, and to me, if they say yes, you know, and I think as people, we want to be problem solvers. And so we might not want to ask because we feel that responsibility. But one of the things that empowered me is that, one, is to ask directly. But one of the things that empowered me is that all you have to do is not solve their problem, but just to keep that person safe. So that could either be sitting there with them, removing their means, whether it be firearms, pills, et cetera. And I can do that. I'm not a therapist by trade by any means, but I could keep someone safe. I could safety plan for safety. And so I could run towards it in that regard. Well, Rob, again, we appreciate your time and coming in here. Uh, we appreciate you opening up about that. I know we didn't talk at all about that, but I just think that's something that's important. I had a coworker we talked about on the show a few years ago, same, same situation. I think everyone's got family members and things. I just think that's important to get out of there, but uh, we appreciate you for coming into the show. We always end with the same uh, way of ending. And I, I don't think we even uh, put you up to it or, or I think you're going into this blindly, Rob, but there are two things in life that are for certain, you know what those two things are. <laughs> Death and taxes. There you there go. You know, man. He, he knows. He knows. It doesn't need to be suicide though. <laughs> no, exactly. Let let the uh, course take its time or whatever. Father time, it's undefeated.